Ephesians chapter 6. This is a topic for this morning, living for the glory of God in the workplace. Uh, we have been working our way through relationship passages as we near the end of the book of Ephesians. And these relationships have all dealt with the household. So we've talked about marriage, talked about parenting, and now we're talking about a complicated subject of bond servants. And really, these bond servants were very much a part of the family, which is why Paul is addressing them in this. And so there, there's just so much for us to work through here, so much to discuss. I just want to jump right into the passage this morning. So let me invite you to look with me now and follow along as I read Ephesians 6, starting in verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Father, again, I just thank you for the reminder this morning of the sacrifice of Christ. Lord, I pray that our identity would be, fi- be found in you alone and how you have rescued us from our sin. And Lord, as we talk about this somewhat complicated subject, Lord, as we talk about something that the world wants to flat out reject, Lord, I pray that you would penetrate our hearts this morning. Lord, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, Lord, but draw us near to the heart of God, Lord, that that we would serve, that we would work, that we would lead all for the glory of God. Lord, that, that we would Look to you ultimately as the one that we are serving. And Lord, let that transform the way that we carry ourselves in this world. Father, we need you this morning. Would you give us clarity of thought, Lord? Would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law? Lord, help us to understand what we need to understand from your word today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we move through this passage, it is important for us to distinguish what slavery, what bondservant meant back in Bible times. And we're even going to take some time to compare it to the black, dark history of our country in light of that. First of all, uh, the word, the Greek word for bondservant here is doulos. It can mean slave. It can mean servant. It can mean, some, it, it doesn't necessarily mean somebody who is held against their will completely. Uh, but nevertheless, we, we have to deal with that situation. And, and, and when I think of slavery, especially in our history, it, 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 made, it reminded me of a trip that we took to Charleston, South Carolina, five years ago for our 15th anniversary. How many of you have been to Charleston? Just an incredible, beautiful place. Highly recommend it. It's awesome. But, but even in this city, there is some dark, dark history. And the city is not blind to it. In fact, uh, they're looking to, make, looking to bring it to the light and, and understand the, the horrors that took place. But, 
But Charleston was a major shipping place for slaves. They, they'd often be shipped in there. It was right on, along the, the ocean and easy place for ships to come into. In fact, they had a trading block right there uh, where they sold slaves. And, and in the place of that slave trading block, they've actually built a slave museum to just remember the atrocities that took place back in history. And, and Nikki and I took the time to go there, and I would encourage you, if you ever go there, you have to visit this museum. Uh, but I, I'll, just re- I'll just let you know, it is, it is brutal. As I, as I walked through there, I, I can remember the anger that I felt about the way people were treated, even tears coming to my eyes. I mean, I, I was gripping my fists at times to see what slaves had to endure. Now, slave trade, when it came to the U.S., was primarily based on race. And, and when they would bring these, these boats, they had pictures of the boats, and, and just the, the living conditions of the slaves was brutal. They would just basically have these bunks just stopped, stacked one on top of the other with very little space. All you could do is really climb in there and get yourself in place. And they would push them up against each other. There was no room to do anything. In fact, it was so brutal, it would not be uncommon for the ship to arrive with slaves having died along the way. Now, what was similar between Bible times and and what we know in our history is that often slaves and servants, they they were treated poorly. They would be physically abused. They would be spiritually abused. They would be sexually abused it was it was not a pretty sight in fact they didn't treat them as people they treated them as property and when the property was no longer useful they could get rid of it and really there were hardly any consequences in in how you dealt with slaves but there were a few differences that i think are worthwhile uh, mentioning in light of the slavery in bible time and the slavery that we may think of so i already mentioned one the fact that uh, slavery in our country was based on race, but that was not the case in Bible times. It was, it was more of an economic thing. And there, there are many reasons why uh, they, people were enslaved. And I love what Kyle Snodgrass has just helped me understand a little bit more perspective of slavery back in that time. But this is what he said about that, about Roman, the Roman Empire. People became slaves through various avenues, birth, parental selling, or abandonment. Captivity in war, inability to pay debts, and voluntary attempts to better one's condition. Race was not a factor. Make no mistake, this does not make it right and okay, but it is very different from making someone a slave because of the color of their skin. In fact, some of these people, as it mentioned there, their life was made better because of the fact that they came under. Now, when, when Paul is addressing Bond servants and masters, it's, we're not sure of the conditions of which these slaves had to endure, which these bond servants had to endure. But the question has to come to mind, why didn't Paul just flat out condemn slavery? Why didn't he demand the freedom for slaves within the church? So here's just a couple thoughts to think about of why he's not flat out condemning this, even though I do believe he would stand against slavery as we might know it first of all if you look back in the roman empire uh, back in these times there was an estimated 60 million bond servants that's right 60 million this would have counted for 
a quarter to a third of the population. And so if, if they were to just to completely eliminate this, it would create mass chaos in that world. Some people, that's the way they survived because people did take them under their wing and care for them even though they were serving their masters. This was just not something you could be done away with. On top of it, it wasn't like the Roman Empire was knocking on the doors of Christians saying, hey, we really need your thoughts and input on what you think about enslaving people. Could you let us know if this is moral or not? <laughs> they, they, the Christians had no say in the matter. But still, Paul spoke against the idea of enslaving another human. I want you to turn with me now towards the back of the New Testament to 1 Timothy chapter 1. So you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st Timothy chapter 1. Starting in verse 8, let me read that for us this morning. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and then I want you to pay attention to this word, enslavers. I have a note in my Bible here that says, those who take someone captive in order to sell him into slavery. So here, Paul is condemning it. He's saying, look, the law stands for righteous, good things. We don't stand for enslaving people. Paul actually addresses somebody who owned servants in the book of Philemon. So I want you to turn with me there. Go a little bit further back. You got Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. So right before Hebrews is that little book of Philemon. It's just one chapter. It's a short book. Philemon is the, the Christian that Paul is addressing who owns this servant whose name is Onesimus. And, and here's the situation that's taking place. Onesimus escaped from Philemon and he went to Paul. And so Paul is trying to address the situation of this runaway servant and the owner. And this is what he says in Philemon verse 13. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. So he, he, he's like, I would love it if he would keep serving me as if he was coming and sent from you. But he goes on to explain, I, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but out of your own accord. So he's not one to press something on Philemon. Still, verse 15, he continues, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, verse 16, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Here Paul is saying, like, don't treat him as a servant. He's your brother in Christ. You need to treat him with respect and dignity and that leads us back here to Ephesians chapter 6 and I think it's worth noting that the the primary focus of these verses that I read verses 5 through 9 are to who it's to the bondservants see Paul is acknowledging as human beings they're not property they are they are fellow Christians fellow believers fellow children of God Paul is giving them respect and he's demanding it from all people as well. 
He is treating them as humans of which they are created in the likeness of God. These slaves, these servants, were part of the community of God. This could create quite an interesting scenario, don't you think? Can you imagine some of the servants like looking over at their masters thinking, are you listening? You listen to the way you're supposed to be treating me? And they might be looking back thinking, hey, you know, I'm treating you well, and this is the way you're going to treat me by not doing what you were called to do? And so Paul's got to address this tricky situation. So don't, don't miss, though, the significance that Paul, unlike the world, was addressing these bondservants as people. And he delivers to them an anti-cultural message. Here's how I want to handle uh, the rest of our time here today. Praise God that we don't live in a society that has slavery like it did back in time. And so as we look at this book, I, I really think it has a lot of great principles for us as we approach the workplace, as we think about what it means to be an employee and what it means to be an employer. And so here's the first thing I want us to see. Employees work as though you are working for Christ. Work as though you are working for Christ. Look again at verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to Man, as employees, we are called to work as if we were working for Christ. We see this all throughout here in these verses. Verse 5, as you would Christ. Verse 6, as bondservants of Christ. Verse 7, as to the Lord. Now, this is nothing new. If, if you've been paying attention to the previous passages... This is the same message that he's been proclaiming about those who find themselves under some kind of authority. And all of this ties back into verse 21 of chapter 5. Just turn there with me real quick. This, this, is, this verse lays out the foundation of how we are due to do life with one another. It says this in Ephesians 5.21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here, here's the main message of all of these relational passages. Look, there is a call where you, you, you might have to submit to an earthly authority, but ultimately all of us are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Every person who ever lived is called to live under the reverence of Christ, even if you have authority over man. And so all of these tie into this idea as employees that we are to work as if we are working to the glory of God. Everything we do should be in response to reverence for Christ. That's the idea here in 6.5 of obeying earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, I don't think that is referring to how they respond to their masters, but the fear and trembling is the fact that, listen, ultimately you're not serving your masters, you are serving God. You are doing this for God. Employees, ultimately, you aren't serving your employer. Ultimately, you are called to serve and work as if you are working for the glory of God alone. Because we love Jesus, we work as if we are working 
for him. In chapter 5, verse 22, wives are called to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. And as you read about the husbands, they are to love as Christ loves the church. In chapter 6, verse 1, children are to obey their parents. How? In the Lord. Obey as if you are obeying the Lord. Paul means for our identity in Christ to be lived out in every single area of our lives. Whether we are married, parenting, a child, an employee, an employer, we are all called to keep Christ central in everything. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat donuts or drink coffee or whatever you do, we do it all for the glory of God. Everything we do, our whole entire lives is to, to be lived for the glory of God. Not just on Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday as well. Now I want you to consider for a moment who Paul is calling to work as if they are working for Christ. These were bond servants. They were actually owned by their masters. Doesn't mean they were full of, like, chained up. It doesn't mean that they were worked to the bone every day. It doesn't mean they weren't taken care of. But they, didn't, they don't have the freedoms that we have today. And it could just be that they had debt that they were paying off for a season and then they'd be free. Still, Paul does not give an out to them. He's not saying, hey, if you're a slave, don't worry about it. You can do whatever you want to. He's like, don't complain about what situation you find yourself in. You are called to live for my glory. Employees, you may not like the job that you, are, that you have. There's no out for you to treat your, your employer poorly. There's no out for you to be disrespectful. There's no out for you to complain about the job that you have. You work for his glory alone. As we think on what it means to work as for the Lord, this understanding will have ramifications on our lives. I want to remind us of the, the structure of the way Paul has put together Ephesians. Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about our identity. It's about who we are in Christ. Remember, believer, Paul wants you to remember this. Remember that your identity lies in the fact that you did nothing to save yourself. You couldn't be good enough. You couldn't do enough good things to save yourself. You can only be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The only one who perfectly followed the ways of God. That is the only way that you can be saved. And so in light of that, let that infiltrate all of your life. Which is what we see in Ephesians 4 through 6. Everything that we read in Ephesians 4 through 6, we should have Ephesians 1 through 3 in mind. Remember your identity in Christ. This now is how you should live your life. And so let's just talk about four ramifications that we see here when we choose to do our work as for the Lord. Ramification number one, you will do your job. You will do your job. Verse five, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. If we are putting ourselves under the authority of God and we are going to do everything we can to his glory, that means we are going to do the job that our employer has hired us to do. We're not going to skip out and try to get away with something that we shouldn't be. We're going to do what we are expected to do. Now, I, I want to 
can we just assume something before we get too far? Let's just assume here that the, obe the obedience to our employers is in light of them not asking to do anything that would go against the glory of God. Can we just assume that this morning? So everything I say is in light of assuming you're not being asked to do something that goes against what God would have you do. But ramification number one, in light of living for the glory of God, you will do your job. That's the easy part. <laughs> it gets harder. Ramification number two, because you are working for the glory of God, you will do your job with humility. This is what it means to do your job with, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That's what it says here, fear and trembling. Again, this is not a response to your master, but it's a response to your true master, your master in heaven, your heavenly father. You are going to do, you're going to do your job with fear and trembling. Understand that he sees what you're doing. He knows what kind of attitude you have. He, he knows how you are responding in your workplace. And he calls for you to respond with fear and trembling. He calls for you to work in humility. This means that we understand that we don't deserve anything good. We didn't deserve salvation. And so when it comes to our job, there's no task that is below me. Because we work as for the Lord, we do so humbly. Ramification number three. You will do your job with joy. Oh, now we're starting to step on toes here. You will do your job with joy. Look at what the scriptures say here. At the end of verse five, it says, with a sincere heart. Goes on the end of verse six, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will. We talked about this last week when it comes to obeying parents. I define obedience as this, is doing what you're told to do, when you're told to do it, with the right heart attitude. This is the same call for us. As employees, we are to work with joy. We are to work with a good attitude. It's not simply enough to do the job that God has called us to do. We need to do it with joy. We don't need to simply just be willing to do any job. We can do any job and still complain about it. God is saying, your heart matters in how you perform your duties. If you do your job and complain about it every day, even though you are profitable for your company, are you really doing it for the glory of God? Your attitude towards your job matters. And it, and it seems like for some people, there is this gap this, this, this wall that we put up to think, I am one person on Sunday, but I can be a different person on Monday through Friday. As if God doesn't see you every day of the week. Your attitude in your job matters. In light of this sermon this week, I, I put a question out on Facebook just wondering what's the worst jobs? What are the worst jobs that people have had. So let me just read some of these jobs and uh, see how you would, how would you like to be working these jobs. Uh, one man mentioned as a, as, a, as a younger man that he worked on a hog confinement farm. That's enough right there to put us all in, uh, <laughs> make us squirm there. But on this farm, he used a squeegee to, to scrape manure up and then loading it up into manure spreaders. 
And he was sure to mention that he was guaranteed to have it splashed all over himself to the point where his mom would have to hose him off every day. All this for $1.50 an hour. How does that sound? Sounds awful. Another job, a postal carrier walking 12 miles a day through whatever elements are provided with a 30-pound pack of mail on his back. Uh, here's one that I would, I would certainly die and melt. A sign twirler in Florida in the summer months, five hours a day. Can you imagine that? In the, I mean, you think it's bad and humid here. It's, it's a different world in Florida in the summer. Uh, here's one, a, a popular one amongst especially youth, corn detasseling. How many of you have done corn detasseling? Yeah? Uh, hot, it's dirty, you get a rash from pesticides, it's muddy, all for little pay. I used to want to do that job, and then I'm like, no, I'm glad I didn't. Thank you, Lord, for <laughs> watching out for me. Uh, here's another job. Imagine doing this, picking through rotten eggs at an egg processing plant. How does that sound? Have you ever, like, stepped on a rotten egg and the smell? Oh, it is, it's something to behold. <laughs> Here's another job. How would you like this? Packing dead cats and cow eyeballs in a factory. Not sure why they're packing those things, but there you go. And then someone from our church uh, mentioned uh, ushering and greeting at the church. <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that one, but his membership has been revoked, so... <laughs> But here's why I bring these things up. Like, Paul doesn't give an out here for an open door for us to grumble and complain about our jobs. Just because they're terrible doesn't mean we get to tell the whole world about it. Listen, this, this, I know it's hard. I've been at jobs. The easy thing for us to do is complain, right? As human beings, we're awesome at complaining. And, and we want to join into that. We want to take part in that. We want people to understand how awful it is. But Paul is saying, no, that is not working for the glory of God. A ramification for doing so for the glory of God means we're going to do our job with joy. We're not going to sit around and complain about it. Ramification number four. You will do your job with excellence. If you are willing to and desiring to do your job to the glory of God, then you will do so with excellence. Listen, look at what verse six says. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. I, I believe this statement, I believe this with all my heart. Christians should make the best workers, hands down. As believers in our jobs, we should be the best workers that our companies have. Because we're not just trying to do enough to get by. We're not just trying to do enough so that our employers appreciate us and that they stay off our backs and then we're not going to do anything less. We're called to do above and beyond. We're not called to just please man. We're called to please God. That means we're giving our best effort day after day after day. We don't just want to fool people into thinking we're doing enough. I used to work at a at Fabco, the packaging company in Buchanan, and the main thing that they, part, they packed there was different, different parts, different car parts, and one of the favorite jobs was packing these small electronic components, and they were about this big, and it, you, the work came to your workstation, everybody had their own workstation, and you get a skid full of these parts with, with flat boxes that you had to fold out, put the part in, put the sticker on, 
And on the paperwork of how to do these things, there was a certain rate that they put on it. And the rate represented how many you should be completing within an hour. And that rate also tied in with how much they would charge customers um, on getting enough work done in that, in that time frame. So a lot of people, what they would do is like, okay, I'm going to do a little bit more than that rate if I can. And then I'm going to take it easy because this is an easy job. It's not stressful on the back. There's, there's other, other things where we had to move these heavy metal bumpers. And so nobody wanted to do those heavy jobs. So people would just milk these easy jobs like that. Well, when I looked at the rates, I looked at it as a challenge. I'm like, I want to smash this rate. Like, I, I work for the glory of God. I don't, I don't, I'm not working for man to love me. I'm working because I'm doing this for the glory of God. And so I'm going to get, with, the, with good quality, with great quality, I'm going to get as much done as I possibly can. How do you think that went over with my coworkers? Not great. Why? Because many of them were trying to milk this job for all they could. So they did enough. Their boss would be pleased because they did more than a rate, but they weren't doing their best. And listen, this is what happens. This is the crazy part of being a Christian. This is, what, this is why the world is blind, that we can work hard. We can look to do our best for the glory of God, and then we get looked down on. Because we're not living for ourselves, and we're not living for the people next to us. We're living for the glory of God. Let me ask you, do you, do you approach your job with understanding that you are called to do this with excellence. Not just do enough, but you are doing as much as you can without killing yourself for the glory of God, not worrying about what the people around you may say about how bad you're making them look. We aren't people pleasers. We work for the glory of God. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So employee, employees work for the glory of God. Why? Because working as for the Lord comes with a blessing. Working as for the Lord comes with a blessing. God rewards those who work hard. And here, here's where we can get easily tripped up because we like to get attention when we do well don't we this is instilled in children you, you remember as a child right as a man or as a boy i remember opening doors for my mom and other ladies and i would mom and dad did you just see what i did there hey i cleaned up my room and you didn't have to ask me like we want to be awarded right away for what we do. We like the attention. What, what Paul wants us to understand, like, don't try to gain treasure here on this earth. Look to store your treasures up in heaven. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 6. Our Savior speaks of this in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. We know this section as the Sermon on the Mount. Let's just see what God has for us in this passage of Scripture. What does Jesus say in light of service? Matthew 6, starting in verse 1, it says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward." 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your hand, left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is just another reminder to you that there's no such thing as doing something in secret in light of God. He, he knows what you're doing. He knows if you are slacking off when nobody else sees you. He knows when you're working hard. And he is the one who will reward you. But don't try to get the praise of man for it. If you are, if you are then complaining about doing good works because nobody noticed, then you just did it for yourself in the first place. There's no glory in that. Or the only glory would be if somebody acknowledges it. But if you choose to do so just because you work for an audience of one, then God will reward you for that. And here's the other thing that we forget as believers. Who is the one that prepared good works for us? This is in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which, who laid them out for us? God laid them out. So when we are doing our jobs the way we should with excellence, who gets the glory? God should get the glory because he laid them out for us. We're not the ones to do it. When we, when we care more about the glory of God, then we are pursuing everything and doing everything we can so that he receives all the praise because he's the one that led us there in the first place. And God will bless us for our hard work and we only want to be seen by others if we use it as an opportunity to say, man, this is all Jesus. This is what he's done in my life. Listen, if it was up to me, I would be lazy. I would milk the easy jobs. I don't want to go to the bumpers and load those knowing that's what's next. But I'm compelled to live my life fully for the glory of God, and so I'm going to work hard, and I have no other choice but to do that, and I'm going to do it with joy because when I do that, God is glorified. So let me ask you, what is your motivation for doing good deeds? Do you desire attention or do you work for the praise of Christ alone? Working as for the Lord comes with a blessing. Look at verse 9. In case you're wondering, can we just get to the employer now? It's time for them to receive the hammer. Here it comes. Masters. Do the same to them and stop your threatening. Know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Here's the last point. Employers, lead as though you are leading for the Lord. Lead as though you are leading for the Lord. So if any of you here our supervisor, a manager, a business owner, you have some kind of authority over employees, this word is for you. Lead as if you are leading for the glory of God alone. And here's how he's saying to do that. Look, he's saying, you know everything. You see what I just told the bondservant? This is how you are to lead yourself as well. Don't treat them as your property. Teach them as your brother and sister in Christ. That's what the text here speaks of. Treat them with respect. Lead them humbly. Lead them with joy. Excel at what you do. You were there to serve, right? Jesus didn't come to be served. 
Jesus came to serve. And so therefore, we need to think about how we are leading other people at our workplace. Are we doing so as a service to the Lord? Or are we doing it demanding that others fall in line? Far too often I see employers that treat their employees like property. Perhaps some of you may have felt that. And so therefore, whenever you have a bad day and they think that you are no longer useful for them, they can throw you out like they would throw a cracked hammer. What do you do with the cracked hammer? Throw it out. It's got no use anymore. It's my property and I no longer need it, so I'm done. This is somehow, sometimes, how businesses can treat their employees. Perhaps your defense as an employer would be, well, he's not doing his job. Perhaps, and I, I do believe there are times where it comes to the point where you have to terminate someone. But let me ask you, does this come after you have tried to plead, after you've tried to get into the life of the, your employee to understand what is going on? Often, the, can, can we just acknowledge the fact when life is hard, sometimes it comes out in our work ethic? But how often do we just kind of look at people as an opportunity to make us more wealthy than we do as an opportunity to glorify God and point them to the Savior and how you lead them? Are we quick to lean into people to gain an understanding of why their work is suffering or do we just move on? As followers of Christ, we must first and foremost understand that the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel matters more than the success of your business. The glory of God and the advancement of the gospel matters more than the success of your business. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe the way you do business is more important than the profitability of your business? Are we going to have employers and employees and jobs like that in heaven like it is here? They're just opportunities. They're tools to get us through, the, get us through our life. But ultimately, we live for the glory of God alone. Business owners, bosses, managers, supervisors, don't forget the last part of verse 9. Look at that again. Stop your threatening. This is what we've talked about, like, Treat them with respect, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. You have the same master. You serve the same God. Therefore, you are no better than the employees that are underneath you. Listen, I, I have seen this from time to time amongst the wealthy of this this kind of senior, this, this superiority over those who don't have as much. Where somehow we think we surround ourselves with wealthy people. We, we don't really want to infiltrate ourselves with those who are less fortunate than we are. And it can become like these cliquish things. I've seen this amongst the wealthy. I mean, look at Hollywood as an example. And the reality is we can all do this with the homeless guy on the corner thinking, why don't I just get a job? Perhaps it's that simple, but 
How often do we just sit there judging a person for their economic status without taking the time to lean in and just see, hey, man, what's going on? What has led you to be begging for food on the side of the street? Listen, I'm convicted by that. I don't do that. I tend to look the other way instead of getting out of my car and say, man, what can I do to help you? We must be careful that we don't think that we're better off because we are wealthier than others around us. Listen, I I know people who are extremely wealthy who are the most generous, Christ-centered people I've ever met. Wealth has nothing to do with equaling it to ungodly. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil. The Bible says the love of money is all kinds of kinds of evil. And I've seen the flip side too. I've seen people who are are not well off, who who just want to judge every rich person as if because they have a big house or because they have expensive things and a lot of stuff that somehow they are neglecting the rest of their world or they have no cares for anybody. And both of those things are wicked. This is why the scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Brothers and sisters, we are equal in Christ. The ground is level at the cross. No one is better or worse based on what's in their bank accounts. We have nothing to boast in except Jesus and him crucified. So employers, are you reflecting Christ in the way that you lead other employees? What Jesus do they see when they observe how you lead? When you have to give the hard truth, is it done so in a place of love and a concern far more their, for their soul than the success of your business? The way that we handle ourselves matters deeply. Brothers and sisters, we all need to live in humility and treat one another with respect. So as we close, I just want to read a passage. I want to point us to one who was worthy of all praise, a king who became a doulos, a slave, so that we might find freedom from our enslavement to sin. We read this in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, doulos, servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for how you've rescued us from our sins. God, I thank you that you have paved the way, Lord, that you were deserving of all praise, all glory. The scriptures say you own the cattle on a thousand hills. You could have wiped out the face of the earth and be completely just in that, and yet you humbled yourself 
by becoming like us and becoming obedient to death on a cross. So Father, help us to remember what you have done for us, that you spared no expense for our pardon. God, let that fuel us then to do everything we do on Monday as much as Sunday, Lord, that everything would be for your glory alone. Father, keep us from compartmentalizing our lives as if we can act like a fool during the week and put on our good Christian face on Sunday. Lord, we desperately need you that we would be authentic people every single day of the week. Help us when we fail. Convict us, Lord, if if there be a need for anyone here to, to go to a fellow employee or perhaps even their boss to humble themselves. Lord, just lead them and direct them in that. What, what the next proper step would be, at least confessing sin to you, God. Just lead them in a way that would change the way that they work this week. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me give you a couple of action steps you can put into practice this week. Uh, memorize 1 Corinthians 10.31. We read that today. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Read Romans 2, if that ties in with the message there, continue to just spend some time uh, praying through, reading through Romans 2. And then a question for you, what is your attitude like at work? Perhaps you're a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) Uh, I think hopefully we'd all acknowledge that's one of the hardest jobs you can do. What's your attitude like there? For students, you may not have a job, but what is your attitude like with school? Uh, I know high school students, if if, if, if I were you, I'd be getting real antsy. Uh, this is the last week of school, I know, for our kids. But we've got to finish, finish well. Finish well. Let your attitude reflect that of Christ. And then lastly, for all of us, whatever you do, work for the glory of God. Church, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine so that others may see your good work. And give glory to your Father in heaven. Have a great week.